Why do you not need to manipulate a situation? Why do you not need to nudge the hand of providence? For this reason, God knows what he is doing. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Would you turn with me, please, in your Bibles this morning to Ruth chapter 3. As over these last few Sundays, we have been steadily making our way through the Old Testament book of Ruth. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servants, girls, you have been a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes, and then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you command, Ruth answered. And she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was good in spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your, of your garment over me, since you are my kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you're a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his word. And let me begin with a question this morning. Have you ever, or are you currently, experiencing circumstance or a situation that is so absolutely overwhelming that you are quite simply not sure what to do. There are several options in front of you. There are several possibilities and areas you can make decisions, but you simply don't know what to do. What you do will affect you and your family for years to come. And you are just uncertain. And you wish the Lord would simply say, go in this direction or go in that direction. It's the first thing you think of when you wake up in the morning. It's the last thing that runs through your mind as you go off to sleep at night. In fact, some nights you've woken up thinking about it. And you're thinking, if 
only I knew what to do. And if you have been there, come with me this morning into Ruth chapter 3, because that's exactly the situation that Naomi and Ruth are facing right here. They've come back, as you know, to Bethlehem. Boaz has shown them remarkable sensitivity and kindness and thoughtfulness. He's looked after Ruth. He said to his own workers, if she takes or gleans grain from the wrong place, don't make an issue out of it. Don't embarrass her. Leave them to get on. The first day when Ruth was going home, Naomi, uh, Boaz made sure that he had plenty of grain to take back to Naomi. And as we saw in the closing of our study last Sunday, the end of chapter 2, when Naomi sees the grain that Ruth has brought home, she is utterly overwhelmed. And she looks at it and says, this is the Lord's loving kindness to us. If you were here, you remember we focused on that word loving kindness. It is called hesed. And it means this, that God has entered into a relationship with his children that expresses his covenant love. And in essence, it means this, that he has entered into a relationship that is deeply personal, that is unbreakable, and God will love his children with an everlasting love, regardless of the cost to him and the days when they wander and the days when they betray him and sin against him. He will continue to love them. His covenant love is all over the scripture and it is of such magnitude we could never get our arms around it and that's how chapter 2 ends now as we come to chapter 3 I'm sorry to say this so please forgive me Naomi has not just been thinking about Ruth not just been thinking about the next few days and the harvest but she shifted from thinking to plotting and planning and scheming. And notice what happens. The first two verses are straightforward. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servants, girls, you have been a kinsman of ours? And you'll remember from previous studies over the last few weeks that the phrase kinsman redeemer has a particular significance in the Old Testament. And kinsman redeemer essentially means this, that if you find yourself a widow, no husband, no family, or no grown adult boys around, little children, the kinsman redeemer in your wider family network will step forward to help you when you're in need. If you have a boundary dispute with your neighbor over land, the kinsman redeemer will come and advise you, go to court along with you, and of course, to help in any way he can. If on the other hand, you are left as a widow with two little children, often a kinsman redeemer will come by and uh, help with money or food or furniture or any way he can. And occasionally, a kinsman redeemer had the opportunity to marry someone with 
in a family. And that's what's happening here. If both were of eligible age, were attracted to each other, had fallen in love, that was entirely appropriate in that wider family network and often preferred in those days. And as Ruth quite naturally hears her mother-in-law chatting and she's saying, now Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. You can imagine Ruth smiling, nodding, thinking, Boaz has been Gracious, courteous, kind, thoughtful. He is a godly individual. Clearly, he's a man of prayer. And you can imagine her saying, yeah, he's kinsman redeemer. But notice what comes next. She sets up her plan. And then she says, verse 2. Halfway through verse 2 is not here, kinsman redeemer. Then she says, tonight... He will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself. Put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, if you are anything like me this past week as I have been reading and studying this passage and preparing for this morning, the first time I read that, I thought, whoa, wait a minute. What is going on here? It leaves you feeling uncomfortable. It leaves you feeling unnerved and a little uncertain of what is going on. Please understand this. In our minds, absolutely refuse to see anything sinister going on here. Please do that. What I think is going on here is this. I don't think there is any doubt that Naomi is skating on thin ice. We can certainly say that. And we can say that because we understand human nature. But if we understand human nature on the one hand, we understand human nature on the other hand. And you can just envisage Naomi thinking to herself, walking up and down, thinking, now, did God not bring us back from Moab to Bethlehem? Yes, he certainly did. Did God not provide a field for Ruth to work in, and it turned out to be the field of Boaz? Yes, he absolutely did. Did Boaz not show kindness to us? Yes, he did. Was he thoughtful and considerate towards Ruth? Yes, he was. Did he give her extra grain to bring back that night? Well, surely God has provided, therefore, Boaz as a potential husband for Ruth. And you can see the natural process of her thinking. It's logic, it's rational. But please hear this. We should never, ever, ever, regardless of the temptation, seek to extrapolate from personal circumstance, the providence and will of 
God in order to make his providence and his will whatever our deepest desire is. Do you see the point I'm making? How many of us are capable of making two and two equal in our minds whatever we justify it to make? Have you ever been there? I certainly have many times. And when you see the providential hand of God at work, please understand this. He never, ever, ever needs us to nudge his hand. Ever. He doesn't need us to take the initiative. He doesn't need us to manipulate a situation. And he certainly doesn't need us to manipulate a situation through human sexuality. And that's what's going on here. Naomi is seeking to get Boaz's attention. And she got it. She got it. Were there alternatives? I think there were. There were other ways of going about it. This past week, I was having a little gentle smile to myself with one of her, uh, Naomi's possible alternatives would be this, advertising in the Bethlehem Courier in the personal column, single mobile woman, widowed, childless, with mother-in-law, seeks well-to-do Bethlehem businessman with you to marriage, be advised, must love mother-in-law. Please email for picture of mother-in-law. Now, is that a realistic possibility? I suspect not. But let me tell you what was and is a realistic possibility. When you find yourself in a situation that is the last thing you think about at night and the first thing you think about in the morning, and it is dominating your, pro your thinking process, it is dominating your life, and it is sucking the joy out of your life and faith. You need to take action. You need to take action. And Naomi, I think, would have been better served to say to Ruth, when you're working in the field today and you see Boaz and he's doing his rounds, stop him and tell him how much we appreciate what he has done for us as a family. Tell him how much we've appreciated the extra grain. Tell him we've been able to sell a little and bring him in some extra income, and we're beginning to settle in Bethlehem. Invite him to come over for dinner some night this week. He can choose whatever night. We simply want to express our gratitude and say thanks. Tell him also, that I have said he is our kinsman redeemer and we're needing his advice and his guidance. That is an entirely appropriate way to go. Manipulating a situation, nudging the arm of providence is not a good way to go. We take the principles we find here and then apply them to our lives in order to work out our lives in the messiness and distraction of our daily living. Because if our faith is only for in these four walls on Sunday morning, it is not a faith worth following. In fact, it's the opposite. It is to be lived out every single day. So what do you do when you're facing a challenge that's so overwhelming? 
or several things. Number one, the things that you cannot control, do not wasting your time thinking through. Be aware of them, understand them, be cognizant of the implications of them. But if you have no control over them, do not waste your time with them. There is nothing you can do about your past. There is nothing you can do about the parents who brought you up or your siblings or the circumstance of yesteryear. And so close the door gently, turn the key and throw it away and look forward and control who you are today and control where you are going. And what is it you focus on rather than the negative that you cannot control? that is festering away? Well, here is what the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Philippians, and we touched on this our first Sunday together in Ruth, here is a second lot of principles, and he's writing from Philippians chapter 4, 8 and 9. And this is what he's saying. And please hear me when I say this. The Apostle Paul is about to go on trial for his life And you know his mind is running at 100 miles an hour. And this is what he says. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, please hear me. Please hear this. What we're dealing with this morning is not an easy thing to do. Because when you have been used to a behavior pattern for many months or years, it is very difficult to break that pattern. But you can break it. And life does not have to be that way. Because this is what Paul is saying. Whatever is true. Think on these things. Let me give you an example. Whatever is true. The strong. Personal. Unbreakable. Covenant love for you. That is lavished upon you. By the Lord God. God Almighty, and he will never abandon you, and he will never give you up to the emotion of the moment. Settle it in your heart this morning. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. Do you remember what it was like to fall in love with your spouse? Do you remember what it was like the first time you held your first child in your arms. You were so in love. And if you remember what that was like, that gives you just a hint of how much he loves you. Settle it in your heart and soul this morning. Think on the things that are true. And secondly, whatever is noble. Why do you not need to manipulate a situation? Why do you not need to nudge the hand of providence? For this reason, God knows what he is doing. 
He knows exactly what he's doing. And you may be sitting there frustrated and saying, Richard, I agree. God knows entirely what he's doing, but I have no idea what he's doing. And that's why you're frustrated. But please hear me. He's not obliged to tell you. He's not obliged to tell you. But he loves you. And if you can trust him in the midst of situations that you want to manipulate for your own end. When opportunity and desire collide and you seek to read into your own circumstance, stop it. Pull back. Focus on whatever is true. Focus on whatever is noble. And it's his love for you. Every forgiven sin, every answered prayer, how he's been leading and guiding and directing in the past, do you think he's going to let you down now? Think again. Think again. And think on what is noble and what is true and what is right. If you have never journeyed outside of the United States, you may not fully understand what a spectacular country this is to live in. It is unbelievable what you're capable of as a people. Across the world, people look in envy at the democracy and the freedoms that we have. And on this memorial weekend, where you are tempted to cry out that the sky is falling, remember and focus on what you have. Whatever is right, be thankful to God for that. And whatever is pure, the next time you see your children or your grandchildren laughing together, enjoy those moments. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Watch your child sleeping. Watch your spouse sleeping. Watch granddad. If he comes over this afternoon after lunch, he's going to take a nap. Watch him sleeping. May not be that lovely, but appreciate granddad for who he is. Inquire, you missed that. I'm sorry you had to see it again. Enjoy the benefits and the blessings that God has given you. Focus on whatever is lovely. Whatever is admirable. Friends who love you. People of character and integrity. People who care for you and pray for you and support you. And are there for you. These are the things to think on, not the negative. It will rob you of your joy. It will rob you of rejoicing in your love for him. And Paul finishes by saying, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, and it brings you all the way back to him once again, who loves you with an everlasting love. Think on these things. Put to one side. Be done with the negative. Do not let it dominate your life and begin again. Practice 
patience. It is tough to do, but it is healthy for us. And allow me to leave you with the three words I left with you last Sunday morning at this time. They're copied out and printed at the bottom of your sermon study notes this morning. So when you take it home, you can cut it out and slip it in to a passage somewhere in your Bible. And remember, the first word begins with reassess. And if you're ever to grow in your faith, if you're ever to go deeper in your love and appreciation of him, reassess the depth of our relationship with him. Give thanks to him for it and then move on. Reassess. Secondly, refocus. Refocus our daily priorities in order to follow him. Father, where would you have me today? What are the areas in my life that are so important that they are my priorities? Refocus. Reassess, refocus, and then redirect. Redirect our lives in light of his love for us. Naomi, Ruth, Boaz, are about to discover the blessings of God at a whole new level. But you're going to have to wait till next Sunday. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this remarkable passage of Scripture. And thank you for its practical application. For those of us stress, stressing and wrestling with emotional challenge and difficulties, help us please this week to put it to rest and to think on you, to focus on you. Father, you are good and gracious to us and may this be a week when we focus on Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Presbyterian Church of Greenville invites you to a celebration of freedom as we worship and thank God for our spiritual liberty. Services include favorite anthems and hymns and a message by Dr. Richard Gibbons.